1: Hello, and welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure to talk with Leo McLeod. He's an executive coach and EQ skills trainer. He helps emerging leaders in the AEC industry. Leo will be sharing his insights on the topic of switching from doer to leader, and we'll be discussing the challenges that come with this transition and the strategies that emerging leaders can use to successfully navigate it. I'm your host, Jeff Perry. I'm the founder of More Than Engineering, doing leadership and career development work. And this is the Engineering Career Coach podcast brought to you by EMI, the first podcast dedicated to helping engineers and technical professionals with both their personal and professional development.
0: Before we go on here, I would like to give a big thank you to this week's podcast sponsor, the Society of Fire Protection Engineers. Working to engineer a fire-safe world since 1950, SFPE is the world's leading professional society for fire protection and fire safety engineering. Comprised of more than 5,100 members and growing, SFPE publishes technical resources and hosts live and on-demand education programs to provide engineers with the knowledge to protect people, structures, and communities from fire. To help engineers prepare for each year's Principles and Practice of Engineering PE Fire Protection Exam, SFPE has developed an 18-week review course that focuses on the fundamentals of fire protection engineering while preparing candidates to think critically, adapt to the exam, and be successful professional engineers. Past participants of the SFPE PE exam review course report a 90% pass rate on the exam, notably higher than the NCWES-reported first-time pass rate at 74%. To learn more about SFPE or to sign up for the online review course starting this June, visit sfpe.org. That's sfpe.org.
1: Now I'm excited to jump into the main segment of our episode. Today, I have the pleasure of having with me Leo McLeod. He's a leadership coach and trainer. Leo, welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. So excited to have this conversation. Now We were getting to know each other a little bit before we started recording here, but I'd love for you to share with the audience a little bit about you and what you're up to doing executive coaching and EQ skills training.
2: Because I'm a storyteller and I'll have lots of stories. Let me start it out with a story. I was sent into architectural firm where my job was to coach emerging leaders to go from being a doer to a leader that's essentially what i do so i go in and there's five of them now these people are in a very quickly growing architectural firm the day before they were associate principals and now today they were managing principals let's just skip the principal part let's go from associate right up to managing principal and they just had that look of deer in the headlights And they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how their job was going to change, how they should come across, how they should be approaching their day, how they should be taking on all this flood of additional responsibility. Someone mentioned it's like juggling chainsaws, like you're going to get hurt if you drop something, right? It's like there's a lot of things up in the air and you don't.
1: Yeah, that doesn't sound like a winning activity to me.
2: It doesn't sound like winning activity, no, no. So anyway, my job was actually to help these people manage their time, learn how to delegate to people, learn how to coach people, learn how to see themselves differently, how to develop relationships, not just do the work, and really kind of switch their orientation. And it was very successful. Their anxiety level dropped dramatically. And it's just an example of the kinds of situations I find myself in where people are want to take on the responsibility of doing extra work, but then they're also kind of freaked out by what that means. So that's how I help people.
1: You've even written a book on this subject and from the ground up, stories and lessons from architects and engineers who learn to be leaders. And those watching the video can see Leo holding up the book. But my understanding is this captures some of these principles that you're talking about being a doer to moving to be a leader. And some of the things you teach in these workshops and things, can you tell us a little bit more about the principles here or their steps to moving through this transition? And how do you kind of help people move through that? Right here, table of contents, it's
2: broken into three steps. I'm going to go over them really quickly. The first part is I refer to the entire thing, this process from going from a doer to a leader as a journey. And if you're gonna go on a journey, you need a destination. So the destination is what I call your mountain. Well, why do I say mountain? Mountain is that thing that's maybe in the distance. Like I'm here in Tigard, you're in Pullman. I don't know what your closest mountain range is. Mine is Mount Hood. So I can see Mount Hood in the distance. Now, if I wanted to work towards it, I would need a strategy to get towards Mount Hood. It's not like right out my door, but it's visible. It's something that's within my frame that I can always orient myself to. And so it's not too far out. It's not too close. And what I use as a way of kind of putting this is saying three years from now, personally and professionally, where do you want to be where you're seeing some progress? Three years. Because five years, that mountain's too far off. You can't see it. A year, it's like, well, I don't know. It's so quick. I mean, that's, that's too soon. So three years is a good snapshot. And what that does is it helps ground people in saying, okay, well, what's important to me? I know what the company is asking me to do. I know what's on my plate and I know I'm going crazy, but let me dial it back and orient myself. So that's the first step. The first step is figuring out basically where do I want to go? Second one is to look at, basically, where does the company want to go? Is this a good place for me? Can they be supportive of my ambitions and where I want to go? If I want to go into sustainability, for instance, I want to be known for innovative water practices. Maybe they're not on board with that. Maybe they want to continue to serve the clients they have that aren't interested in that. That maybe is not in line with my mountain. But understanding the mountain, the goals the objectives of where your company is going is the second part of that. The third part is figuring out what do you need to do to develop in terms of your skills. If you want to be a principal, it's like, oh, you need to actually bring in your own clients. Oh, well, I, le- I need to learn how to present myself. I learn I need to learn how to write proposals. I need to learn how to develop my network. I need to do business development. That's under my bucket. That aligns with my mountains their mountain and this is what I need to do to get there. Does that make sense so far? That's step one. Step two is basically, you know, leadership is not a solo practice. It's very, and this is a very important part. It's not about you just sitting down and doing your work, head down, doing your work. It's really about developing your relationships and understanding the importance of relationships and getting to where you want to go. That works for both you and the company, right? It has to do with developing mentors finding allies, finding advocates, people who can push for you and who can help you along the way and understand the dynamic, what I would call the emotional bank account, making more deposits than withdrawals. Basic principle works across the board. And then the third part of this journey on the book, so you got charting your course. Second one is investing in relationships, getting your team together. The third part is saying, okay, now how do I get there? How do I manage all the distractions, all the emails, all the meetings, all the workload. And I use a simple formula, which I could go into, but basically it's anything that comes at your desk, you got three choices. Okay. If they're not things that are immediately important to you or the company, and they're just distracting you, one is delegate it. Number one, ignore it. And what I mean by ignoring it is like, you don't need to be jumping on everything that comes across your desk, every request, every email, every text you don't need to immediately respond. You can learn how to be more um, structured with your time and your responses. And then the last one is my personal favorite, and that's shrinking tasks, economizing. I was working with a principal up in Seattle, and he, he just said that, look, actually, it was the president of the company. He said, um, you just have to work within a budget of time. Like, you may want to work and do five hours of work on a design, but you really only have 45 minutes. You need to be able to understand how to work effectively throughout the day and say, okay, I know my pension, my desire is to do this absolutely right and spend a ton of time. I don't have that. If someone comes to you with a request and they want to talk to you for half an hour, shrink it. I only have 10 minutes. Let's get to it. If someone wants to do an hour-long meeting with you, shrink it. If you have a, a number of emails you need to do, just shrink your response time to that. So you're just dealing with the most urgent stuff. So those are just some of the strategies that helps you get from where you are to where you want to go.
1: That first point is so critical in in a lot of the work that I do and people I talk to, like they don't know where they want to go and those things that are really important to them. I put it under this umbrella. I call it just career clarity, right? Like getting that clarity around things that are important to us and where we want to go. And I love your emphasis too on within an organization, how that aligns With what they're trying to accomplish because ideally we would love for those things to align how can this be a win-win solution which hopefully every employment situation is as much as we possibly can for the employer and the employee now moving from this process of being this individual contributor doer to a leader there's a lot of different kind of skills and tactics and competencies we need to be able to develop over time to be able to do that well Some of the challenges I see, and I'm sure you see a lot of times, is that of delegating and learning how to let go from I'm doing the work all the time to now I need to be able to help and enable and empower others to do that. What do you see about this? And what are some of the challenges when people are trying to start delegating work, which especially those who have never done it before?
2: The biggest challenge, Jeff, I'm sure you'll be able to identify with this, is that people get into this work because they love the work. They don't get into it in order to manage people. They don't get into it to delegate. That just is part of the reality. If I want to get from here to there, oh, I need to change up my game. But what drove people into this position, whether they're an engineer or an architect, especially in professional services where people are driven to the profession, is that they want to do the work. They love doing the work. They identify with it. It gives them pleasure. It gives them a sense of value. They're good at it. And as you get better at it, you're like at the top of your game. Now, it's like the rug is ripped out from underneath you. It's like, hey, guess what? You're so freaking good at this. You're like at the top of your game. You have to give it up. You got to step away from it. Like, what? But I'm getting really good at it. So some of this is the challenge is letting go of something you absolutely love that gives you pleasure. Number two, it also feels like you're doing a disservice to your clients to give them somebody else to work on it where it's like, I know how to do this. I'm the guy. I've been helping all along. And then the last part is that you just have to deal with the other challenges. You just have to deal with people not doing it your way, taking their time, either not caring or kind of having their own way of doing it and really getting your head wrapped around it. So my suggestion for this is to number one understand that those feelings are real. It's not like get over it. I just like it's hard. Start with the small stuff. Stuff with this. Here's what I do. I take out a piece of paper, write down all the things that are kind of on your plate, all the things that you commonly do, and then say, what are some things that you should really hold on to and do, and what are the things that you can say, I should be doing. This is not a good use of my time. Like a lot of people who are motivated to go through this doer to leader really do are motivated to get out of the weeds. Like there are things that they don't want to do. Okay, well then if you want to get out of CAD, get the hell out of CAD. It's like every time CAD comes up, guess what? Don't do it. I had a a civil engineer who did this. He's like, all right, I need to be involved in the projects, but CAD's not a good place for me to hang out. That's the time suck for me. I got to sit down in the morning. He was really good because he was really structured sit down and go figure what I'm going to do, figure who I need to talk to, what I delegate, do that. He became one of the best delegators because his mount was to spend more time with his son so he could go, because um, he's a Boy Scout leader, if that was, and hang out with his son. And then he wanted to be involved in best practices for stormwater, and he wanted to do other stuff. That's part of your mountain, right? Your mountain has to be like forward moving. So that becomes like, well, what do you have to give up that's like not really that fun anyway? That way you get to hold on to some of the stuff that does give you pleasure. It's not like you're giving it up. You still usually have to be involved. It's just learning how to strip away the stuff. It's like, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be taking minutes at the meeting. I shouldn't be reviewing stuff. I could be empowering other people to do this. So that's a way of, of getting it. Did that answer your questions?
1: That's helpful. And just want to go back here for a second, because you mentioned so many of the feelings that come up. And I think about these sometimes as these anchors that are holding us back from really, that we need to be able to let go of some of these things. Because like you said, this kind of identity of like doing the work in order to move through to this next phase in great leadership, we need to let go of some of that identity that we used to kind of identify as who we are. And that's a difficult thing for a lot of people. So we want to recognize that while also saying, hey, we can move forward and in doing so, enable the team and you to actually do even greater work over time. And that's what we're trying to accomplish. Now, another point here is this idea that's connected with delegating, but instead of just telling people what to do, actually coach and mentor them to be able to build their capabilities. So how would you describe the difference between just managing tasks and really building and coaching and mentoring people? I think the number one thing that people need to
2: realize as they make that switch from being a, what I call a doer manager to a a coach manager is that it is gonna take more time. When you start looking at how you're spending your day, guess what? It's gonna require you to have conversations with people. Let's use delegation, because delegation is the most direct path, the most direct application between work and coaching. That's the one that you can do like right away. It's important to sit down with people and find out, like, what's your understanding of this project? I've gone over it with you, and what are you thinking about doing? What's your approach? What do you think the challenges are? What are you gonna do first? What questions do you have? What resources are you gonna tap? In other words, so what I'm doing right now is I'm acting as a coach, because your coach is asking a lot of questions. I'm just role-playing role playing here, so you're somebody, right? And what I'm not doing is telling you exactly how to do the work. I'm not dictating it, I'm just asking you questions that may seem annoying to me because i just want to tell you how to do the work honestly but it's about drawing out and getting people to be independent problem solvers that's what it's about coaching is about developing people so that they can take more stuff off their plate so that they're going to grow they're going to stick around you don't need to train and bring in new people you're not going to lose people that's why you're doing it you're doing it because there's a crisis out there right in the workforce people aren't entering the field quick enough for all the work we have. And coaching, I don't think it's really that strong to say it, but it's really the answer. It's like people have options. They don't need to stay at your firm. There's other places knocking on their door. And and the reality is that if you take a vested interest in people's development in their career, which is essential to, as opposed to just telling, do this, do this, do this. But it's like, let me find out where you're going, what your mountains, right? Let me be clear about what our mountain is. That's This is all about communication, spending time. And here's some things that you need to develop. It's all those things I talked about before. Being a coach is being an advocate for someone and saying, let me understand where you want to be here. And let me help you kind of accomplish that here. Let me give you kind of guidance so that you can kind of do it on your own. not going to do your work for you. And you know what? Be honest. Be honest that this isn't easy for you. It's like you're not suddenly an expert, right? It's not like, oh, I'm a coach now. I got all the answers like, no, I'm just like you. I have a different role, that's all. And I'm trying to figure it out. We need to work together, that's all. Here's my best shot at it. I may pull up stuff back and, oh, that wasn't a good idea. I need to let you run with it. This is a dynamic. It's not like I'm in charge because I have a position. And that's an important part of coaching is a difference is that. And I have a new book, Coaching and Mentoring for Dummies coming out. And it's really a big point here is that there's, you can play the role of I'm in charge, do what I say, or you could be like what I'm talking about and be a coach and say, this is in your best interest. It's in my best interest. This is what needs to get done. That takes some time. and takes some communication. And that's the part that's going to be particularly challenging for people, especially engineers. They have to verbalize stuff and take time and communicate. It's just the way it is.
1: But in doing so, we're building the relationships and we're building the alignment together with how we can partner through what needs to be accomplished and where we're going, not just in the short term, but in the long term, so that everyone can achieve what they're trying to achieve. And you build that trust that makes people want to stay. If they feel seen and heard and understood, they're going to be higher, they're going to be more engaged, and they're going to want to stick around because they feel valued where they're at, because they feel like they're being listened to, which is excellent. Now, you mentioned here, Leo, that in making some of these transitions, it's going to take more time, but that's not always possible for leaders because they have a limited time. And you were talking earlier that we need to get, be able to shrink things and maybe even say no to things. So how do you move through that process as a leader, identifying what can we shrink and what can we say no to so we can build that skill to be able to focus on what really is
2: important? I think this has to do with how you manage your time. Let me kind of put this simply. There's two ways you can manage time. One is not to manage it at all. Like Jeff, right now, let's say you get a text. It's like, what are you going to do? Are you going to like interrupt this podcast? And just like, oh, wait, or I'm going to, hold on. Oh, wait, I got an email coming in. Yeah. Is that the way we're going to do it? No. I've turned off my stuff. I'm focused here. I know I've got this blocked out. People know I'm not available. My wife, by the way, I already told her a couple of times. <laughs> Don't interrupt me. I'm on a podcast. She's left the house. She said, well, I hope I wasn't too mean about it. <laughs> But my point is that you can either be really reactionary about everything coming at you and just say yes and respond to texts, emails, people saying, I need you to jump in this meeting. I need this. I need that. Can you take that on? Or you can say, let's see, what's my day? How do I block it out? Where, how am I going to spend it? And rather than react to things, work more intentionally about the things that will, and this is an important point that it's going to increase your say-do ratio. Your say-do ratio. This is what I say, but what do you do? Did I say that I was going to be on this podcast? Yeah, I did. Am I? Yeah. Did I prepare for it? Yeah, I did. Now, what if I didn't? How would you feel about it? You'd be like, yeah, he didn't really put the time into it. I don't think we're going to have him back. I'm not going to say he was awesome or talk about his book because you know, I don't think he really put the time into it. People operate on the principle of what kind of what I referred to earlier as an emotional bank account. And it's sort of like, people will not remember what you say, they won't remember what you do, but they'll remember how you make them feel. My Angelo said that, and I love that. I keep going back to it because it's true. It's true in our personal life. It's true in business. It's like, you got to follow through your commitments. You need to be someone who is trustworthy and that's how you build your relationships. That's how you build up your equity in your accounts. And the way you do that, this is a really long-winded way of answering a question is you have to say no to certain things and but you say it you don't see just say no i mean you have to say i can't do that this is like i can't respond to this i'm in the middle of a proposal that's due at five o'clock today so i can't jump into this meeting i have another thing that's more important you find a way of saying it but you're not just responding to yes it's just to be more intentional with your time it's about defending your time Like I had somebody who was a principal in an architectural firm, a young mom, and she was really torn with the responsibilities of taking on all the work and being a mom and being a good partner. And she did her work. She blocked it off. She met her responsibilities. You know what? It was time to go at the end of the day. Other people were working and she just walked out and says, I'm done. I'm not going to be guilt tripped into staying around here because I have other obligations as part of my mountain. It's not just all about work for me. And she's very successful. But sometimes you just, you can't play along with the fact that other people don't plan. They don't act smart on how they use their time. And they want to make, you know, that whole expression It's kind of a emergency on your part. It's not a whatever that is. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. poor planning on your part. It's not an emergency on mine. There's ways of saying it, but it still comes back to not simply just, like saying, okay, I'll do it, sure, yeah, I'm in the middle of something. You can drag me out of this and drag me into a meeting I don't really need to be in or I don't have time for.
1: I love the couple of things that you just emphasize again, like the intentionality rather than being reactive to everything that's coming your way and the say-do ratio ideas. To me, it's, it's this idea of how do I keep the commitments I make to myself and others consistently, and if I say yes to everything, that's not possible for me to keep all those commitments. But I want to be someone of integrity and deliver on what I say I'm going to do for myself when I plan a day or plan a week or whatever, and to those that are depending on me as well. So that say-do ratio is is excellent as well. So if you're going to say yes to something, make sure you can really commit to it and follow through. So I'll tell you a story because it's in the book. All
2: the stories are true. So here's a story. I had somebody who was definitely a yes person. Yes, yes, yes. Open door policy. Couldn't get any work done because everyone was always interrupting her. She was the chief operating officer for an architectural firm. I coached her on all these principles. I come in one day for a coaching session at one o'clock to two o'clock. And she comes out with this apologetic look on her face. Says, you know what? I sorry. I got called into something because corporate just dumped something on me and they need something like right away. And it says, can we reschedule? And I said, no, we can't. It's a use it or lose it. I let her sit with it. And she said, "Mm, let me see what I can do. So she went back 20 minutes later. She had delegated a big chunk of it. She had articulated to corporate that she can get, she could shrink it. In other words, she says, I can't do everything, but I can do this much and I'll get the rest of it by Monday. Which is so critical because, you know, a lot of people will just say, I need this. Like, do they really need all of it? And do they really need it? Or are they just saying because they want to get it off their plate? That's what I'm talking about. So here's what she did. She delegated. She ignored the urgency that this needed to get done right away. And then she shrunk the amount of time she spent on it. And you know what she did? She also shrunk the amount of time with me, but she got 40 minutes instead of an hour. She didn't put herself last she was able to accommodate both. And that, to me, that's like a perfect example of how you can say, how do I balance this stuff? I can't do it all. Delegate, ignore, and shrink.
1: A lot of managers or leaders are working at at a larger level rather than I'm taking a task. Maybe they're working on projects or other things, but also the level of the relationships they need to be developing and cultivating is at a higher level, right? And so I think you talk about this idea of like building allies. Can you talk a little bit about what this looks like and building allies and alliances and why this is important? So there's a book
2: that I love that I refer to in my workshops called The Boys in the Boat. Do you know about it? The Boys in the Boat? Yeah, great. So you're going to know what I'm going to talk about. This is about a team of the University of Washington, a crew team, that were just they were green they worked in agriculture they worked in fishing they worked in the forests they didn't have financial support they didn't have the big name of like berkeley for instance but they represented the u.s in the olympics against germany and they won some spoiler alert they won the reason why they did it is because not because there was one person that was particularly strong because they knew how to row together That's really what it's about. It's really about saying, we have a task to do, like with the Olympics. How can we work together? Because they were able to communicate with each other, support each other, trust each other. And it really is about what you're talking about, because they know exactly what you're talking about. At that level, that higher level, it's really about these peer-to-peer relationships and taking the time, back to the time, to i don't to go out and have coffee, go out and have a beer, get to know these people, advocate for them, minimize any kind of like gossiping. Don't throw them under the bus. I mean, these people, it's so easy to, especially in organizations to kind of just, oh, I don't like, oh, Jeff, you know, that's Jeff. We're just joking about it. And then guess what? Jeff finds out about it. It's like, yeah, I was talking to Leo and he's like, you know, talking about how you're so-and-so. It's like, oh, what does that do to our relationship? So it's really understanding how those real, every interaction that you have is about the chemistry and the trust you do. And especially when you're dealing with a peer-to-peer level, you and I run different departments, okay, or you're a different market sector, or for instance, like that. That's where it becomes like, well, I need more people on my team and you need more people on your team. Well, how are we going to approach that so that we're not going to the president saying, you know, Jet doesn't really need people on his team. That's not good. It's There needs to be more respectful collaboration. And it's hard these days when there's so much pressure.
1: So instead of it's this process of connecting with others in meaningful ways to really see them and understand them and connect with what they're trying to accomplish. And then again, this process of aligning together and collaborating and finding the synergies instead of kind of fighting for those resources or just working in silos. I'm going to do my thing, you do your thing, and, and whatever. Because that's not what we want, because that's how we get all those miscommunication issues and then things break down. We bloat resources and we're inefficient and all that fun stuff. is not where we want to end up. Exactly. And I love that Boys in the Boat book. Uh, it also reminds me of a, another story from a rowing team. If you're familiar with this, the British rowing team in 2000, the British were at a large history of rowing and and crew, but they hadn't won an Olympics in decades. A new coach came in and, and established a team philosophy, which is one operating question that drove everything that they did and said, will it make the boat go faster? So when we're talking about what are we gonna say yes to and no to, and how do we identify that? Like having those operating questions for us that can be that filter, whether that's our values or whether that's our focus or whatever, what the mountain is, right? Like you've talked about, we need to have those things that can filter out so that we can identify where we need to focus instead of getting caught up in every little thing along the way. All right, Leo, I want to ask uh, another thing you were talking about when we were discussing coaching and mentoring a little bit, that you've got a coaching and mentoring for dummies book coming out. Give us a little sneak peek about what we can expect from that book. It's a
2: big book. It's what is it? 380 pages. I'm down to my last five chapters of final editing, which is very exciting. <laughs> it's been a big project. quite an undertaking? I know. it's. I didn't write it like from the ground up. I revised a 20-year-old book, which is really interesting to go back through a book and say, okay, this is sold 140,000 copies. How does it need to change? So a lot of it is quite good, but I had to You know updated so let me just kind of briefly tell you that there's five pillars that you can kind of support as you're coaching and mentoring people and basically the five pillars are to help people focus on the stuff that's important and what's expected that's number one focus number one is to be involved in them involved in their career involved in the work not just passive the other one is to help develop them not just in their job, but in their career, to take an interest. And the fourth one is to hold them accountable and give them feedback and help guide them and be honest. And then the fifth one is developing gratitude for them. In other words, if you do those things, that they are gonna be grateful and loyal for the opportunity that you haven't treated them like a cog in the machine, but that you've advocated for them, that you've been there for them, you've spent time with them and that they'll be grateful. So those are the five pillars. And the book is, you know, it's everything from giving, you know, feedback to doing reviews to delegating to how a doer manager and a coach manager are different, how to motivate people, a lot of motivation. I've built in new chapters on diversity, equity, and inclusion. I've done um, generational. I've addressed working with different generations. I addressed the aspect of change. I added emotional intelligence. So there's a lot. You know, it's a dummy's book, so it's written to be super literal and modular. So, in other words, you don't need to—you don't read the whole thing straight through. You can, but it's—you pick it up. You want a certain chapter. You go in, and you can read that chapter. It's sort of. This house the science. so science has been an interesting uh, literary challenge to go into a different style. So,
1: one other fun thing I want to ask you about, and I understand you've got some hobbies, and playing the ukulele, and. And writing songs and also baking pies. I wanna understand a little bit about this and where does that come from for you and do they connect in any way to this work you do as a coaching trainer? I do bake pies.
2: I mean, like probably after we're done with this phone call, I'll just go into the kitchen because my kitchen is my place where I'm able to kind of just ground myself. But the story is that I went into a construction company to train their emerging leaders and they said, well, we got all these people we want you to train. I was like, well, but maybe not everybody wants to do this. She says, well, that's okay. Do it anyway. So walking walk into the first session. I said, look, I don't think everyone wants to be here. I get that. So I'll make a deal with you. I'll totally bribe you. If you all stick it out for four times, I'll make pie in the last time. So the second session, I came back in and they were like sitting there. And I said, well, what you learn from the first session? Guy raises his hand. We stick it out for four times, we get pie. Like, okay, well, that's fine. Everybody stuck it out. But on the last session, the only person missing was the safety manager. And the safety manager actually met me at the door as I'm coming in. I'm coming in with my pies. And in his hand, he had a pie that he made the night before for me to thank me for some of these things that I've been talking to you about. It was really touched. I was like, okay, well, I guess my thing is going to be pie now. So it's not just a personal thing. It's become a professional thing. So much so that I had a president of one of my best clients come to me and say, hey, I think it's great that you're giving people pie in the classes, but where's my pie? I'm the guy writing the checks." so
1: Well, the president needs to come to the classes because he probably needs to learn those things too. There you go. (laughs) Thank you. There you go. Very good. Well, Leo, it's been such a fun conversation so far. At this point, we're going to transition into our take action today segment of the show. We'll get one final piece of actionable advice from you. We'll be right back. Now it's time for a Take Action Today segment of the show. Leo, we've had such a fun conversation talking a lot about how people can move from doer to leader. Now, as we end off here, what's the final piece of advice that you would share, especially for those people who are thinking about moving into leadership or maybe they're new leaders and they're trying to grow these skills. What would you share with them as a main action that they can take to really grow into this?
2: I'm gonna give people a really easy exercise. Just take out a sheet of paper and just put a line down the middle and say, things I should do, things I shouldn't do. So these are the things that you are normally tasked with doing in your work. And what I'd like you to do is determine what are those things that is not a good use of your time, you don't like doing them, they're mind-numbing, other people should be doing them, help develop their skills, all those things that are kind of what I call like no-brainer kind of stuff. Because this transfer to go from a doer to a leader is difficult because a lot of people want to hold on to the fun stuff. Why don't we start by getting rid of the stuff that's really not that fun anyway? (laughs) Uh, Like for me, for instance, I'm not a good proofreader. Don't give me stuff. I'm a good writer, but I don't have the patience. I don't have the skill level for it. I delegate that to somebody else, right? That would be on my list of things that I shouldn't do. That's one thing that I would do right off the bat is just clear your plate of those things and learn how to delegate and push off stuff so that you could have some more time to do the things that are more towards where you want to go.
1: As we end off here, if people are interested in connecting more with you or learning about your work or your books or anything, where would you send them?
2: My website's got it all. So it's got information on my two books from the ground up and Coaching Mentoring for Dummies. It has my pocket tools, my online course, and you can find everything at leo. M-A-C-L-E-O-D.com. Just find everything, there's videos there, there's downloads, there's lots of, everything's right there.
1: Thanks so much for the conversation and really hope for nothing but more success and growth and impact in the work that you continue to do. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments and questions. You can go to engineeringmanagementinstitute.org where you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in the episode as well as links to any of the resources or websites that we mentioned in the episode. And don't forget to check out any upcoming live webinars for this month at the website as well. Additionally, for any engineers who feel like they need extra help taking the next career step or finding clarity in their careers, I've created some free training resources with an opportunity to join a more intensive program called the Engineering Career Accelerator. You can find more information at engineeringcareeraccelerator.com or you can go grab my Career Clarity Checklist found at www.engineeringcareeraccelerator.com career-clarity. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your engineering endeavors.
0: Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? how long should you allow employees to work remotely, and how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.